Hey, Forge family. This is a great day for a podcast. We're starting into episode number 12. And uh, before we really start into that in chapter 35 of Genesis, we want to look quickly back at at the 11th uh, podcast where Jacob had come up from Succoth and set up his tents right next door to a town called Shechem. This is um, uh, in the location of modern-day Nablus, and it's on the a major trading routes. One ran up the ridge route from Jerusalem, and it ran north and south. To the north was Galilee, to the south was Jerusalem, and then down into the Negev, River, uh, Negev Desert. Uh, the one that ran east would have put travelers and caravans down into the Jordan River, into the Rift Valley, and then up the side of that, to, to ascend back up to um, a couple thousand feet in elevation to the plains of the Transjordan area and give those caravans access to the rest of Mesopotamia. Finally, the trading route, the road that went west, took people out through the Jezreel Valley, this breadbasket, a very fertile region, and ultimately out to the ocean and then access to the Mediterranean. It's in that place in Shechem, that Jacob sets up an altar, and he names it God, the God of Israel. And so he's, he's purchased some land, he's going to set up business, it looks like a profitable deal, and his young daughter, Dinah, the seventh born child of Leah, goes into Shechem, unescorted. We don't know if she snuck off, whether she was going to the mall. We don't know whether or not um, this was a daily thing, back and forth, back and forth. But at, at some point, she was seen by Shechem, the prince, if you will, the son of Hamor, the one who led that particular tribe of Hivite people. Uh, and Shechem was their stronghold. And Shechem sees her, takes her, and rapes her by force and holds her captive. <clears throat> the next scene is he comes to ask for her hand in marriage. His heart is taken with this young woman. She's 14, 16 years old. He wants her for a wife. And so he comes to offer a bride price, and Jacob's sons step in front of him. Jacob is silent in this negotiation. And the sons say, oh, no, no, we can't give you our sister because you guys aren't circumcised. And they begin to deceive the whole town of Shechem. <clears throat> and in the process, they defile that covenant sign that God gave to Abraham to say, this is the mark on your body that says, you belong to me. And now it's being offered, you know, um, as a scheme, if you will, as a deceitful scheme by Jacob's sons to the men of Shechem. Okay, they all come out, they get circumcised. Three days later, they're in great pain. They're, in, they're suffering. And Levi and Simeon, the two older brothers of Dinah, and perhaps their servants, systematically go house to house to house through that town and slaughter all the men because they can't fight. And, and they pour out revenge on that town. They plunder it. They take the livestock, all the possessions, the children, and the widows of the men they have killed, and they take them as slaves, as servants. Okay? Now, Jacob's response is, he's afraid for his own skin. 
He's afraid that there's going to be huge retribution, revenge by the tribes in Canaan. <clears throat> and he takes on his sons and says, what have you done? And they say, well, wait a minute. You know, were you going to treat our sister as if she was a harlot? There had to be some justice in this. They just happened to go way over the top. And it prefigures, it foreshadows the wars of Canaan where um, God takes down the Amorite nations. So before we start with chapter 35, let's pray. Holy Spirit, uh, we need insight into this, into this mess that um, Jacob and his sons are in. Lord, last week I urged uh, Forge people and myself to, to zoom out, to pull back, to look and see what is God doing. He has been with Jacob all the way here, but Jacob ain't perfect and neither are his sons. Lord, uh, we're not perfect and neither are our children. And so we ask, please, that you would speak into our hearts the principles and the insights from Scripture here that was the beginning of the walk of people away from idolatry to serve God most high. We're blessed by that today. Help us understand how to do that ourselves, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is episode number 12. Uh, we're beginning in chapter 35 of Genesis. And at this point, God steps in. We don't know whether or not God said, enough of this, this is a mess but he has not spoken directly to Jacob for 10 years. It's been 10 years since God, uh, God spoke to him when he was working for his uncle Laban in Padan Aram on the plains of Aram. He was three days away from the encampment of Laban and God said, gather your family, gather your flocks, go home, leave. Okay, He gets the compliance and the agreement of his wife, wives and, and they leave. They pick up and they run. And they get uh, away from Laban. Now, obviously, Laban caught up and they have the, the negotiated <clears throat> Mizpah covenant where God walks between us when we're apart one from another. It really is, if you cross this line, you're dead. <clears throat> so it's, it's a really a warning and a curse. It's not a blessing. It's been 10 years since Jacob came back into the land. He's wrestled with the angel. His name was changed. He faced his brother Esau. He moves his family up to Succoth. And now he's come to Shechem and God steps in. And it says, then God said to Jacob, okay, arise, go up to Bethel. That's 30 miles south and live there, dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of your brother Esau. Okay, so in verse 1, um, God just says, time to go. And then Jacob starts this process. He knows what he has to do. Verse 2, Jacob turns to his household and he turns to all that are with him. All right, so he's a massive encampment. He's a wealthy man. He has flocks and herds and cattle and camels and shepherds that are his bondsmen. He has servants he's purchased and he has all these wives and children that came with him out of Shechem. So his household is designated, and all that are with him are designated separately. And he gives them instructions. And he says in verse 2, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. 
okay, literally that are in your hands, okay, okay, and he says, purify yourselves, wash yourselves, and change your garments. Let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So he gives them very direct leadership instructions. He steps away from Shechem, or he's a, he's a nothing. He's not a leader at all. And, and God has spoken to him. Now he leads. Okay? And he says to them, all those foreign gods that are in your hands, certainly the Shechemite women would have had those, would have been clinging to those, would have been wearing the amulets and the earrings dedicated to whatever god they were worshiping. It was all over the Shechemites. But coming out of Padanaram, the other servants and things like that, and perhaps even in his own household, there were foreign gods. Remember, Rachel stole Laban's teraphim, his house gods. You know, the title deed of his for his estate, the, the way to store loose coin and wealth is to melt it down and make a god out of it. You know, we don't know whether or not at this point Rachel would have come forward holding those teraphim or whether she saw the writing on the wall since Jacob had said, whoever has those is dead. So she probably ditched them in the desert, shoved them under a sagebrush, pushed them into a dune, dropped them under a rock. She no longer has them. But Jacob says, all those foreign gods and the rings in your ears. Now, what does that symbolize? The ring in the ear. Okay, that's, that symbolizes ownership. You know, it's a, it's a, you, that's what you do to a slave. You put a ring in their ear. That, it isn't just adornment. It isn't just jewelry. Because in the ancient Near East and in much of the world today that is not in the West, jewelry and artwork is designed, crafted, and dedicated to darkness. And, and Jacob would have none of it. He says, take off those rings in your ears. Give me all those foreign gods. He collects it, and he hides it. He buries it. He tucks it underneath a terebinth tree. It's called an oak tree in some translations. It's a, it's a tree that breaks into blossom. You know, in certain times of the year, it's a, it's a big, flourishing, semi-arid environment tree, okay? And this happened to be near Shechem. So before they even leave, he says, get that stuff off of you. Get it out of my house, okay? And you wash yourselves. You purify yourselves. You get ready for worship. You put on new clothes. You shift your garments. Okay, and then they start south. The shepherds, the baggage, the servants, the slaves, his household, everybody is walking 30 miles down, down south, down the ridge route. And they would have passed city after city, village after village of Canaanite peoples. And this little group, this, they're really, compared to the nations around them, they were small, but they were a large, wealthy company, powerful company, that are walking in militant ways now, because they've obviously crushed and wiped out a whole city of, in Shechem. But Jacob's looking over his shoulder again. Remember when he did that, when he fled? He fled Esau? Okay, He was looking over his shoulder because his brother was the master woodsman, the stalker who could hide and stalk animals and take them down with a bow and an arrow. Jacob thought he was going to be next. And his entire journey was one of distress because he expected 
that arrow was going to transfix him at any moment. He moved in great fear on the way to Bethel and then on to Haran to be with his uncle Laban. And so they're coming down expecting harsh retribution, revenge from the Canaanites, and then God steps in. Verse 5 says, God put terror, great fear, on the Canaanite cities, and they froze. There was no pursuit. Finally, verse 6, Jacob comes to Luz. That's where he was 30 years before. Remember, he had fled from Esau. He'd been blessed by his father Isaac. His mother had said, you just get out of here. Go up there. Get a wife at Uncle Laban's compound. Go, go back to family. Get yourself a wife. And when Esau's anger modifies itself, when it, when it cools off, I will send word. Okay? And on the way, he stops at Bethel, which is outside the city. He stops at the city of Luz. He, he's exhausted. He's, been, he's in turmoil. He's in distress because he's expecting Esau to pop up. And he puts his head on a stone and he dreams. And, and the heavens open and a ladder device descends from heaven to earth, touches earth. Angels ascend and descend. And the Lord God comes and stands next to him in his dream and says, I'm the God of your grandfather, Abraham, and the God of your father, Isaac. And I am going to be with you wherever you go. And obviously, this was an introduction of of Jacob to the God of his fathers, okay? And we had that in one of the early podcasts, all right? And it's into this city where Jacob comes and he builds an altar where he'd stood 30 years before and he calls it El Bethel, God of the house of God. And because that was the God who revealed himself in his dream. Now in verse 8, in verse 8, it says, Now Deborah, Rebecca, that's, that's Jacob's mom, Rebecca's nurse, died. So Deborah, her closest confidant, her, you know, Jacob's mother's closest confidant, and perhaps closest surrogate in the family, dies. We don't know how Deborah got there. We don't, we don't know that the, the, the narrator... Of, of this account doesn't tell us whether or not Jacob had been down to visit his father, Beersheba. He didn't, he doesn't say whether he went to back to be reunited with Isaac during his 10 years and there discovered that his mother had died and Deborah tells him the news and Deborah comes with him back to Shechem. We don't know whether or not <clears throat> Deborah arrives with the news, you know, and meets them at Bethel, but when she gets there, either coming south with the family from Shechem or coming north from Isaac, she dies. <clears throat> and she's buried under a terebinth tree at Bethel. Okay? <clears throat> now, this was, this was the nurse who took care of, the closest person to Rebecca. Remember, Rebecca said, I'm going to send word. You know, when it's safe to come back, that word never arrived. <clears throat> and she was the one who had led her son into deceiving her husband, Isaac, 
to give the blessing to the secondborn, to Jacob, and not to the one he planned to. We don't know what happened to Rebecca. When she dies, I don't, there's no record in scripture that she was placed in the cave of Machpelah with the other patriarchs and their wives. She may have been buried in an unmarked grave because the Lord just said, uh, you know, the, the blessing was transferred as I told you it would be, but how you got it done disqualifies you. Lord, we don't know that. But there's no more reference ever in the scriptures to Rebecca. <clears throat> in verse 9, God appears now to Jacob. He spoke to Jacob in Shechem and got this whole family to move 30 miles. <clears throat> Jacob has come. He's built an altar. He's worshipped. But then God appears to Jacob. Verse 9 says, Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padanaram. And he blessed him. You know, it's, so, it's like, son, you're finally back from where you went. It's been 30 years, but you're back here. And God blesses him. God says to him, your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob. You're no longer the schemer. You are no longer the supplanter. You're no longer the deceiver. You will be called Israel. That's going to be your name. That confirms what was said to him as he wrestled chest to chest and jaw to jaw with this figure in the night for hours into the early dawn, neither able to overcome the other. The Christophany, if you will, of the pre-incarnate Christ who comes to get at Jacob and leaves him lame with a new name and blesses him as he departs. So third, you know, 10 years after that wrestling match, God appears and confirms, that was me. <laughs> that was me. You are Israel. It's, that's what your name is going to be. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. That's the same identifier, the same introduction, if you will, that God made to Abram in Genesis 17, where God changes Abram's name to Abraham. It's, it's Jehovah, no, excuse me, it's, it's, it's Yahweh. I have to check my notes here, just a second. Lost my place. It's El Shaddai. Thank you. It's El Shaddai, God Almighty. God introduces himself to Abram. He introduces himself to Jacob, and he says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. And then he turns and he says, be fruitful and multiply. That harks back to Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful and multiply. He's already said that to Abraham. He said it to Isaac. Now he says it to Jacob. Out of you will come a nation and a company of nations. You are going to bless nations. You're going to become and you're going to bless nations. Fourthly, Kings will come forth from your loins. Your line will include kings. Fifthly, the land I promised to Abraham and the land I promised Isaac, I'm going to give to you. I promise to you and your descendants as well. They're going to get this land. And it was then that God disappears. God, This, this image of God, however God appeared to Jacob, it says he ascended, he went up, he left and he left vertically. 
Verse 14, Jacob responds. God has spoken to him and moved him to Bethel. Now God has appeared to him and reiterated and strengthened the covenant that God had made to him before. And Jacob sets up this steely, this pillar, this vertical stone and anchors it in place. And he does it exactly where God spoke to him. Okay, and he pours out a libation. You know, in, in, the, um, in the law, it says if you're going to offer a drink offering, it's a gallon and a half, uh, you know. If you're going to, and same thing with the oil, if you're going to pour out oil on the offerings, it's a gallon and a half. Perhaps that's approximately what Jacob did. He poured it over this rock in consecration and dedication, and he called that place Bethel. Now, George Sarna, the scholar I've mentioned before, uh, the Torah scholar, he says, a thousand years later, after Jacob, King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, who comes to threaten Jerusalem and wipe away the ten northern tribes of Israel. He takes them into captivity. Sennacherib writes and says, if you find this pillar and it's dirty and it's not being honored and worshipped at and remembered, you come along here and you clean it up and you pour a libation over it and you pour oil over it so that you remember and you worship me. So this is a very common thing in the ancient Near East, you know, to, to mark the place of worship in that way. Verse 16, they're traveling again. They're on their way. Flocks, herds, servants, slaves, household, they're moving down. They're, they're moving on this ridge road. And it says as they approach Ephratha, okay, which is Bethlehem, modern-day Bethlehem, the Bethlehem of the New Testament, if you will, uh, the Bethlehem where David was born, okay? <clears throat> Rachel, the second wife, the beloved of Jacob, who's very pregnant, she falls into labor. She has a difficult, hard labor and a difficult birth. And the midwife, in the text, the midwife says... The midwife encouraged her by saying, do not be afraid. Now you have another son. You know, hang in there. Hang in there. It's another boy. Okay? But it was such a difficult birth. It tore her up and she dies. And with her last breath, Rachel names this child Ben-Oni, meaning son of my sorrow. You know, she still is clinging to that sense of life Ain't what I thought it was going to be. And Jacob won't have that. Jacob doesn't own that at all. He holds this new infant in his arms and he renames the child Benjamin, which interpreted, translated, means son of the right hand. Okay, that son, Benjamin, by Rachel, second son of Rachel, is the twelfth son born to Jacob. And those 12 sons will each in their descendants create, birth the 12 tribes of Israel. All right, Forge family, this is going to be the last in this series of episodes for the time being. We're coming back to Jacob later, but number 12 that we're in is, is going to be the last one we do on, on the Jacob story for now. But I want us to just focus now 
on what's here for us. So after this violent debacle in Shechem, God steps in, God speaks, and he sets in motion the preparation for the whole family to come to Bethel to worship. Okay? All the gods have to be set aside. All the amulets, all the earrings, all the stuff dedicated to darkness is removed. And then he says, you get ready to worship God most high. You worship him only. You wash yourself. It's a picture of the natural, of of what is really supposed to be spiritual cleansing, where there's nothing in your heart between you and God. You put on new clothes. Okay, you change your clothes so that there's a new way to walk. It symbolizes a new life that you're walking in. You know, and then you, as you come into God's presence, you come clean and new to worship him and him only. So what is in our hands? What is it that we value over God alone? Is there anything that you cling to? Sitting in the house, hooked on the, the, uh, the rear view mirror in your car, the bumper sticker, is there something, is there anything else that's, it's Jesus and. So, so there's something else in life that you value and you hold to, you cling to. And, and then the second question is, what's in your ears? Now, we don't, we don't have these dedicated amulets. We don't have the, the slave earrings. Okay, but what we do have in our ears is media. You know, headphones and iPods, iPod, you know, the earbuds from iPhones and iPods and, and, and all that stuff that pours at us from this culture that we give ourselves to. Whether it's the, whether it's the, the entertainment, whether it's the sound, the music, the rhythms, whatever it is, it's pouring in through our ears. Now, family, I was in Argentina with, with Ben and Darren uh, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, and we were sitting in a church, um, and it had concrete steps. It was, you know, they had to, they just packed people in. They were in a church under construction. It was kind of like a, a gymnasium kind of feel, but it was concrete steps, and it wasn't real clean, but there was a, a, a youth group there with us from that church of Argentine people who, these kids love Jesus, but one of the girls was getting ready. You know, we were going out for an outreach on the street, and this girl said, "I'm, I'm dizzy, I'm nauseated, I, 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 my, I'm just fuzzy all over." And and Ben, particularly, you know, amongst those who gathered around to pray for her, Ben said, "You take off those earrings." And she looked at him like, "What? I just bought these. You know, these are I just I just bought these." And and Ben said, "Those are dedicated to darkness." The, you know, the, they, were, they were crafted and set apart for something wicked and evil, and you put them in your ears, and that's why you have these sensations. She took off those earrings, and immediately there was a shift. Immediately her head cleared. Likewise, I was in Ethiopia some years after that, and I remember going into the marketplace where they send the tourists outside of Addis Ababa, and, and they had beautifully crafted silver crosses. You know, the Ethiopian cross for, that, for their worship systems there. And some of our, our team was going in and buying those, you know, to take home to wear, to give as gifts. You put one of those in your hand, you get the spins. You get dizzy. That thing in my hand was ice cold. Like someone had set it on a block 
of dry ice. It had been crafted and dedicated to demons, to darkness. Now, that's in the first world. In, in our, you know, excuse me, that's in the third world. In our world, you know, what is it that has us, that's setting ourselves apart to something other than God alone? See, the Lord comes to Jacob to, to restate, amplify the promises and the covenant that's going to last Okay, And God says to Jacob the second time, the third time, the fourth time, he has these encounters with God. Well, he is the God of the second chance, the third chance, but he is also the God of the encounter. He wants us to come to him, and he wants to come to us. Okay, And as we do that, he wants us to be set apart with moral purity and, if you will, religious purity for lack of a better word. In other words, no syncretism. Nothing, you're not blending you know, your Jesus with something else. You know, there's no other gospel. There's no other Savior. There's no other God. For Jacob to live in Canaan, he had to have that moral purity and religious purity to set himself and his family apart from the Canaanite peoples. For us, here in the West, in North America, okay, we are set apart unto God by how we walk in that purity. So as part of the final reflections on this Jacob story for now, I want you to jump forward. Zoom out and jump forward 1,800 years after Jacob stands at Bethel. Okay? Because coming up the road on a donkey into Bethlehem is the very pregnant mother of Jesus, Mary and Joseph. And she may well be in labor. I've ridden bareback. That would put me into labor too. Okay, But she's pregnant and she comes, and, and that night, no room in the inn, remember? She is there, they can obtain lodgings only in perhaps a cave or a, a, a barn of some sort, uh, you know, some place where animals were kept out of the, out of the, the elements. And there... Jesus is born. He's Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Okay, Jesus is born in the line of David. This son of Mary is born in the line of the promised seed. He is the promised seed of Genesis 3. Now remember, back up, 1800 years, Jacob's son was named Benjamin, son of the right hand. God's Son, Jesus. God the Son, come in the flesh as an infant, okay, had sat at the right hand of the Father and today sits at the right hand of God. He is the Son of the right hand. And He ever makes representation and intercession for us in the presence of the Father. So, Lord Jesus, as we kind of wrap up these these 12 podcasts to get us started on the Jacob story, we ask you, Lord, that you would help us see what you're doing to people who are just learning about you, just understanding this is one God, not many. This is a God of purity. This is a God who requires of us to walk in his ways and do what he tells us to do. He requires obedience. Lord, uh, 
hundreds of years will pass now from the time of Jacob to the coming out of, out of Egypt and the individual tribes in the nation of Israel. But Lord, uh, that's half a day to you. Remember, a day to the Lord is a thousand years. And a thousand years is the day. Lord, you are the one who calls us to zoom out and say, look what God did. Thank you for your blessing from the scriptures. Help us, take it to heart, apply it to heart, and follow after you in purity. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge family, we'll see you soon. Love you. Be blessed.